Well, I got to tell you, I look forward to these services every year. I think there's something so special and so appropriate that we would take time in the middle of our busyness, in the middle of all the parties, all the festivities, all the travel that we have, every place that we're going to be going, to take some time and worship Jesus and center our heart on the reason for Christmas. And if you've been coming here the last few weeks, you know that that's exactly what we've been doing. We've been doing it through the lens of Advent, talking about the benefits that Christmas brings. Christmas brings with it some promises, brings with it some benefits. We talked about hope, peace, joy, and tonight we're going to talk about love. And, you know, when I think about love, I think about all the things I love about Christmas. I I love the flavors of Christmas, all all the sweets and treats that we get to eat this time of year. I, I love the smells of Christmas. I love the smell of my wife made some cinnamon rolls this morning, and there's going to be some stuff tomorrow. I, I, like when I walk through the fragrance department at a department store, like that makes me think of Christmas and the pine trees. I love the smells. I love the Christmas music, all, all the, the songs. Now, if you start your music November 1st, I, I don't love that. I think you're kind of weird if you do that. But I, I do. I, I love so much about Christmas. But of all the things I love with Christmas, uh, one of the things I love the most is the traditions. And if you've been coming to church here for a few years now, every year I try to share some of my traditions with you, especially on Christmas Eve. I've talked about trees, and I've talked about the wrapping of gifts and candy canes, and I've talked about the nativity, all different things. But I thought this year it would be fun to start a new tradition as a church, and that tradition is the tradition of Advent. Now, Advent is not a new tradition. It's an ancient Christian tradition. But If it's new to you or you're not familiar with it, you're in a good place because there's a lot of us here that didn't grow up in church or we didn't grow up in a church that observed Advent. In fact, my wife is one of those people. She grew up in a church that didn't observe Advent. In fact, she told me today that she grew up not going to Christmas Eve services, if you can believe that. But fortunately, I can say God has done a work in her life through me. So (laughs) really, really glad. But she is a church girl. Her church just didn't have Christmas Eve services. But Advent, it's an it's ancient Christian tradition, and, and we light these candles to represent that Jesus is the light of the world. And so we, we've been doing that, and simply put, Advent, we prepare for Jesus' return by looking back at Jesus' arrival. So we started with hope, that was the first one, and we second week we looked at the peace of God, hopefully it's work, all right. And then last week we looked at joy. And you might be looking at this and thinking, okay, well, this is the last night of Advent and you've got two candles. That's what my son Grant said. And the reason for that, sometimes there's four, sometimes there's five, but these four candles on the outside, they represent the four Sundays before Christmas. And the center candle, if there is a center candle, lots of times that's lit on Christmas Eve to represent Christ. And so because in the tradition I grew up with, There was five, that's why we did five. And so tonight, on the last Sunday of Advent, we are going to light this. It'll work here, in Jesus' name. There we go. Sometimes when things don't work, you just have to say in Jesus' name. It's a little preacher tip they teach you. But we're going to light the love candle, and we're going to light the Christ candle, is what the center candle is. Now, 
It's appropriate that we would light the love candle and the Christ candle on the same day because Scripture tells us that God is love. And on Christmas, we recognize that the gift we received in Christ really is the embodiment of God's love for humanity. So I want to begin tonight by reading to you a verse of Scripture, and it's maybe not a traditional Christmas Scripture. In fact, it's a pretty obscure passage of Scripture. Not a lot of people are familiar with it. It's um, relatively unknown, rarely preached upon, but I want to share it with you. It's from an obscure book, the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16. And uh, we'll put the words on the screen uh, so you can follow along. Now, I obviously have this memorized because I'm a preacher. But um, for those of you who don't, no condemnation. I just, I clearly study the Bible. So John 3.16, if you know it, you can uh, say it with me. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We'll stop there. I just want you to hear this as much as you can like you're hearing it for the first time. I know it's so familiar, but to let these words, not just hear it with your mind, but to feel it in your heart. Let me say it one more time and you just listen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God gave us a great gift in Jesus. How many of you like great gifts? How many of you like good gifts? How many like any gift? Right? Most of us will take any gift. But I've noticed, you know, we don't often reject a great gift. Very rarely would we reject a good gift. Maybe if you don't know what the gift is, you might reject it. Maybe if you don't know how to use it, you might reject it. But we very rarely reject a good gift. Maybe, you know, if somebody offers to pay for our dinner, we might be like, no, Please, but no. I'll do that one time. If you insist, I'm going to let you pay because I've learned to receive. But we often don't resist gifts when somebody offers it to us unless maybe, maybe if the gift is so generous, we might feel like, I don't know if this person can afford it. We might resist that. Or, or if it's really extremely generous, we might feel like we don't deserve it. And I was kind of joking there with this verse, but God has given us a great gift in Jesus. He's given us the gift of his son, the embodiment of his love. And yet I've noticed that often we can resist God's gift. We can reject or resist God's love. What do I mean? I mean, it's amazing to me how firm we can be in our confidence that God loves the world. We know this verse. God loves the world. I'm just not so sure that God always loves me. Have you ever been there? It's like, God, I, I know you love the world, but, but God, do you love me? And that's the question that I want to frame up as we get into our message tonight. I, I want to speak to you from this question Do you love me? At some point, we've all probably wondered that before. Maybe we've even said that. You might even be here tonight and you feel that way now. 
God, do you really love me? Maybe just thinking about the things that you've done, the words that you've said, the things that you've thought, the ways you've wronged people, the ways you've hurt people, the mistakes that you've made, you might think, God, how in the world could you love me? And if you've ever wondered that, if you've ever asked that question, I want to help answer that question tonight because I've found that there's different reasons that we resist God's love. And there's probably a multitude of reasons we could talk about. I just want to give you three, the three that I believe are the main ones. And one of the reasons we resist God's love is because we haven't received God's forgiveness. We haven't received God's forgiveness. Jesus came to forgive our sins, but it doesn't do us any good if we don't let him forgive us of our sins. And to do that, we first have to acknowledge that we have sinned, that we are sinners. Merry Christmas, you're a sinner. So you're uplifted right now. I know we don't often like to talk about sin, but the truth is, sin is simply the fact that God has standards, and we often fall short. Sin means to miss the mark. And before you can really talk about the love of God, it's important to understand that God is holy. He, he has some standards, and all of us, despite our best efforts, have fallen short of those standards. And you've done it. I've done it. We've all done it. I still do it. And because we sin, we often resist God's love because we know we've fallen short of his standard. And if maybe that would be you today, I want to read the next verse in John. We know John 3, 16, but let me just read to you John 3, 17. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. He, he loves you. And what's important to understand is that our sin, the places where we've fallen short of God's holiness, well, sin comes with some consequences. The, the consequence of sin, Scripture calls it the wages of sin, is death. Sin results in torment. It results in punishment. But this verse tells us that Jesus didn't come into the world to punish us. He actually came into the world to take that punishment off of us, and he put it on himself. Now, when you really grasp that, you understand what that means. It might be natural to think, that's too much. God, I don't deserve that. I, that that's too much. Don't, don't do that. But that's why it's a gift. It's a gift. Now, it's funny talking about resisting gifts because I've noticed that my kids have never resisted a gift. Not once has any of my children ever come to me and said, Dad, that is too much. You have really outdone yourself. Please, you know, take these presents back. You, you have gone overboard. I don't deserve, I've been way too naughty and disrespectful. Just too much, stop. No, in fact, they, they do the opposite. They, they co-opt gifts that were never given to them. My, my youngest daughter, Pippa, she, she's seven. She has become infatuated with this idea of learning to play the guitar recently. I thought it was because she discovered that I once played the guitar, but no, I think it's really due to Taylor Swift. And uh, so she, she learned that I play the guitar and that I have a guitar. And so it started by saying, 
dad, can you show me your guitar? And then it went from there, dad, will you play me the guitar? Dad, will you teach me to play the guitar? Now that guitar is in her room and she's given it a name. I didn't even know you could name guitars. She named my guitar Lemon. It's not a lemon. It's a good guitar, but she, she's named it. And she just has this understanding that dad is good and so are gifts. And you can't have too much of a good thing. So dad gave me some more. I never once gave it to her, but it's hers. And the truth is your heavenly father is that way with you. He's good and he loves to give good gifts. But the reason we protest the idea of God's forgiveness, we resist it is because we have more faith in our badness than our Heavenly Father's goodness. I want you to know that God's love for you is greater than your sin. That's why he offers you forgiveness. And so if you want to know and experience God's love for you, let me encourage you today, receive his forgiveness. That's the first one. But the second roadblock that people often encounter is that they haven't accepted God's approval. They haven't accepted God's approval. The interesting thing about this last candle here that, that we lit is it's sometimes called the angel candle. Now, if you know much about the Christmas story, you'll know that angels are a big part of the Christmas story. Angels are appearing all over the place. They appear to Zechariah. They appear to Mary. They appear to Joseph. They appear to the shepherds. And what I noticed when I was studying all the Christmas passages is that every time an angel appears to someone in the Christmas story, they always make this pronouncement of God's favor. To Zechariah, they say that this is going to be a sign of God's favor on the people. To Mary, they say, blessed and highly favored are you among women. To Joseph, they said, hey, this is not a disgrace. Mary has been chosen by God. This is something that's holy. To the shepherds, you know this verse in Luke 2, verse 14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, sometimes it's translated different ways. Sometimes it's translated goodwill. Sometimes it's translated loving mercy. Sometimes it's translated God is pleased or, or his good pleasure or his pleasure, but it simply means approval. Many of us were we're desperate for the approval of others because we never first received the approval of our Heavenly Father. E even those of you that are like, man, I don't care if people like me. I don't need to be like all you Enneagram 8s. We know who you are. E even you, you might not care if people don't like you, but you still like to be liked. We all want to be accepted, and that's because... God has hardwired into us a desire for relationship. God has hardwired into us this desire to live in his favor. But the reason it's hard for us to accept God's approval is because we know approval comes with expectations. And I don't know if you're like me, but half the time I don't live up to my own expectations for myself let alone God's expectations of me. And so we think about God's approval and we think, no, no matter how hard I try, the reality is I fail in my conduct. My career is not perfect. My commitment 
doesn't last every hour of every day. My compassion gets exhausted. My capacity runs out. And the danger of living with this idea that I have to earn God's approval is that if you live with this idea that you have to earn God's approval, you will believe the lie that you can also lose his approval. That's why I take comfort in what God the Father spoke to his son Jesus on the day he was baptized because he spoke the same word to Jesus that he spoke over you through the angels. Listen to what he said in Matthew 3, 17. It says, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That same word. He said this about Jesus before he did one miracle. He said this about Jesus before he healed one sick person, before he called one disciple, before he made one disciple, before he started on the path that would take him to the cross. He said, I am pleased and I approve of you before Jesus did anything. And that's the same thing he said to you. He said... I approve of you whenever you place your faith in Jesus. Not because you've earned it, but because you trust in Jesus. But there's a third reason that we fail to receive God's love, and this might be the one for most of us, is we fail to receive God's love because we haven't acknowledged God's value of us. God's value of us. Many times when we don't understand or we question if God loves us, it's because we have a wrong idea of love. And the reason we have a wrong idea of love is because we think about how we love. And there's lots of different kinds of love, but one of the ways we love things is we love things based on value. I mean, just practically, like we might love our house because we worked for it, we earned it, we love our house, or we, we love some shoes because we got them on sale and we know what they're worth or, you know, we love a gift that somebody gives us because we know that it costs them something. I'm just trying to say we generally love things that are valuable. And the problem is we often don't feel that valuable. We, we feel flawed. We feel broken. We feel wounded. We feel used. We feel abused and we might feel something like this. Now, this might not mean much to you, but this means a lot to my three boys. And it's not because this is like a childhood toy. We got this two years ago. I'm embarrassed to tell you that my, my three boys, 17-year-old, 13-year-old, 11-year-old, are obsessed with this stuffed animal. It's not like they sleep with it or anything. They, they're obsessed with it because they use it to torment me. Like you've heard of the elf on the shelf. This is the pest from the West. The, this little lion, and if you look closely, he's been used and abused. He's been sewn up. He's been tatted with a pen. He's got stitching on his back. He's, he's, he's really been put through the ringer. And they're always putting this guy in places where it annoys me putting him on my shoulder, trying to study, prepare the word of God to bring to you, and they're putting him on my shoulder and making noises, and it's really annoying. <laughs> now, it didn't cost very much. He came. He was 25 cents. We got him from a little crane machine. Oliver got him from a crane machine. 
But I promise you, he is worth so much more than that. I know that because in the rare moments when he has disappeared for unknown reasons, they've thought that he maybe ended up in the trash can. They have gone through the trash looking for this guy that they, they don't want to lose. And if anybody has any last-minute Christmas shopping for the right price, you can take him home with you today. <laughs> we have an end-of-year offering after all. So. But what I'm trying to say is he didn't cost much. He can't do much. He doesn't make any noises. He's clearly been abused, and I'm honestly concerned about the germs I may be contracting holding him right now. It's not anything anybody wants, but he's valuable to my kids. Why is that? Well, because you're not worth something based on what it costs. That was 25 cents. But something is valued based off what someone is willing to pay. And I wonder, I wonder what did God pay for you? If value is determined by what somebody's willing to pay, let me read this scripture to you. It says in Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus came not to be cared for. He came to care for others. He came to give his life so that many could be bought by his blood and made free from the punishment of sin. I want you to see that you have tremendous value to God. He loves you so much. How do I know that? He values you so much that Jesus gave his life and gave his blood so that you could be restored in right relationship. He, he loves you and values you, not because of something that you did, not because of what you can do. He loves you because of what he was willing to pay for you. That's how much he valued you. You're valuable because of what he was willing to pay. Truth is, all of us feel flawed, broken, damaged, wounded. And maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe you have some scars. Maybe you've got some secrets. Nothing's hidden from God. But I want you to know he sees those. He sees the scars. He sees the secrets. And that's why I want you to hear this message, maybe like you've never heard it before, to not just hear it with your mind, but to feel it in your soul, to feel it in your heart that God loves you with an immeasurable, unconditional love. For God so loved you. Not the world. For God so loved you. I want you to hear that. Not because you earned it. Not because you deserve it. And if you, you have resisted that, I would just ask, have you received his forgiveness? Have you accepted his approval? Have you acknowledged how he values you? For God so loves you. In fact, there's another John 3.16 I want to show you. And even if you know the first one, you might not know this one. This is in 1 John 3.16. Just listen to this. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. In other words, we, we don't know what love is because of a feeling that we had. We don't know what love is because of how someone treated us. We were on the receiving end of an experience. 
No, we know what love is because of what Jesus Christ did. In fact, John would go on to say just a few verses later that we love because he first loved us. Now think about this. All the stuff we love about Christmas, the reason you're able to know what love is and the reason you're able to love is because God first loved you. That's wild to think about. But it's even more powerful when you realize who wrote this. Because 1 John 3.16 and John 3.16 were written by the same person. Spoiler alert, his name was John. And it's not John the Baptist. It was John the disciple. But he wasn't always discipleship material. A lot of people don't know this about John, but John had a reputation in fact, him and his brother, who was also a disciple, James, they had a reputation together. You ever know someone like so bad they've got a reputation about how bad they are? Yeah, that's, that's James and John. That they had a nickname, and their nickname wasn't the Bible Bros. Now, their nickname was the Sons of Thunder. I don't know what you got to do to become a son of thunder, but I like it. It, it reminds me of, like, the Bash Brothers or the Legacy of Doom or something like that. I just sounds like these guys were, were trouble. But we don't know how they got this name, but we get a glimpse into it in one of the Gospels. There was this time where Jesus was going into a town, and the town didn't treat him very well. They didn't welcome him. They were unkind to him. And James and John, the sons of thunder, they responded. I want you to see how they responded. When when this town didn't treat them very well, they, they said to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Like this was their first response when they didn't welcome Jesus. How many of you have a friend like that? How many of you want a friend like that? Just go to battle for you. Well, this was, this was John. This was James. It's funny to me that the three that Jesus was closest with was Peter, James, and John. Like Peter gets a bad rap all the time, but you got to know John was a rough guy. At least he used to be a rough guy until he started spending some time with Jesus. And we don't know how long it took. I imagine it probably took some time. But little by little, just spending time with Jesus, something in John changed. Because he didn't see himself anymore as the son of thunder. No, John saw himself differently. He saw himself as the disciple Jesus loved. How do we know that? Because four times in Scripture, in his gospel, he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And I believe God sent me here to tell someone that no matter what someone has done to you, no matter what your parents have said about you, no matter how someone has made you feel, no matter how you might have fallen short, no matter what guilt you might be carrying, no matter what shame you might be dealing with, no matter what you said or did, you're the one that Jesus loves. You're the one Jesus loves. I want you to hear that, not just in your mind. I want you to feel that in your soul. You are the one 
Jesus loves. Jesus said that the good shepherd, even if he has a hundred sheep, if he loses one, he leaves the 99 because he loves the one. You're the one Jesus loves. I don't want you to ever question, God, do you love me? If you've come in here with that question tonight, I want to ask you, have you received his forgiveness? Have you accepted his approval? Have you acknowledged how he values you? You don't have to wonder, God, do you love me? He loves you. You're the one Jesus loves. What's interesting with that question, do you love me? It's actually in the Bible. In fact, it's three times in the Bible someone asked it, but it wasn't John who asked that question. It actually wasn't any of the disciples who asked the question, do you love me? You know who it was? It was Jesus. But he didn't ask because he didn't feel loved or he was curious. He, he asked because there was a moment when Peter failed Jesus miserably, denied him and abandoned him. And Jesus, loving him, wanted to affirm and restore Peter back into relationship. So he asked him three times, do you love me? And if you've asked that question of God, I want you to hear a resounding yes. But then your response is, do you love him? I want to give you the opportunity to say yes back. You know, one of the ways you can do that, we're going to pray in just a moment, but you might be here as a guest. Maybe you're here in Lawrence and you came to church tonight to get in the Christmas spirit or felt like you should. And I just want to invite you to to go on a journey with us in 2024, to just go all in with everything God has, to prioritize the weekend, to get in a group, to, to, to give, to be on a team, to do all those things. I'm telling you, your life will look dramatically different a year from now. You know you're the one Jesus loves. Do you love him? If you'd like to say yes to that today, maybe you're far from God, I want to lead you in a prayer. The scripture says when you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, that's how you're saved. It's one of the ways you can affirm your love for him. Say, God, I acknowledge I'm a sinner, but I believe in what you did for me. I love you. I want to give you my life. Make me new. I want a fresh start. If that's you, you want to do that today, I'd like to say a prayer with you. Our church, nobody prays alone. We pray together. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? If you're here, you want a fresh start with God. I can't think of a better way to go into Christmas, to know where you stand with Jesus, that he loves you, that you affirm your love for him. If you want to make a fresh start with God, would you just lift your hand? You want to pray that prayer with us? Thank you. Thank you. Make sure your hand's up high so I can see it. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know who I'm talking to. Thank you. Put your hands down. Would you say this with me? All God's people say, Lord Jesus, I recognize my need for you. And I believe in what you did for me. 
how you died on the cross for my sin. And you got up from the grave. Come live in me so that I can live in you. I receive your free gift and I receive your love right now in Jesus' name. Amen.